from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Where technology and comfort go hand in hand. So we try to make everything as comfortable for our people and as comfortable for our animals as possible. Meet another of this year's Milk Business Conference Award winners as dairy producers look for higher prices. Could 2024 be a better year? Inflation is a massive deal. The clock ticks on a decision from the EPA regarding year-round sales of E15. And we can't rely for a third summer on emergency waivers. An update as the agency sets a date right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when experience meets expertise. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Chuck Freeby, Sports Director for the Family Broadcasting Corporation. Clinton is on assignment. The EPA is setting a March deadline when it comes to making a rule for allowing E15 sales year-round in eight states. Ag Day's Michelle Rook has been following this story. Michelle, governors from those eight Midwestern states petitioned EPA last year to let them sell E15 not just in the winter months, but also from May through September. Despite some earlier reports that EPA was delaying their decision on a final rule, court filings now show March 28th of 2024 is the target for finalization of that rule. This comes in response to lawsuits being filed by attorneys general in both Iowa and Nebraska. The rulemaking is significant because it's the first instance of EPA finalizing a rule under this Clean Air Act provision. While it will apply to only eight states, the impact will extend to a considerable portion of the U.S. fuel system. And officials say it's needed because the last two summers, EPA issued nationwide emergency waivers every 20 days to allow E15. And we can't rely for a third summer on emergency waivers. It, I mean, if the world is still in the state it is the last two summers, then so be it. But I think most of us would prefer it's not, and the administration has been pretty vocal that they, don't, they do not plan to do that again. However, White says to avoid a patchwork of rules, it's imperative Congress pass a nationwide law allowing year-round E15 sales. They're optimistic about its chances, even though 2024 is an election year. U.S. oil refiners told the administration they'd prefer a blanket change, as they believe the eight-state approach will add cost. This is one of those strange times where we have the American Petroleum Institute and other refiners on our side because they would much prefer a nationwide approach and a fix than the eight-state approach. EPA initially proposed allowing year-round E15 sales in the eight states following their petition on the matter. However, it received numerous administrative petitions requesting a delay. According to the law, EPA must consider those and input from the Department of Energy to assess whether the rule might lead to an insufficient gasoline supply. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. Thanks, Michelle. Meanwhile, the cost of shipping fuels like diesel across the Atlantic has reached its highest point in almost 16 months. It's due to historically low water levels in the Panama Canal. As we reported, the reduction in water levels has caused major congestion on the canal. It's forcing some companies to reroute their fleet through the Suez Canal, creating delays there. The Panama Canal normally handles about 36 ships a day, but it's gradually reducing the number of vessels to 18 a day by February to conserve water as it moves into the dry season. It's been reported some ships have had to wait as long as 20 days to get through the canal this year. It's a tale of two weather maps with rain in the eastern half of the U.S. and snow in the west. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has more. 
Yeah, and really it all comes down to where the moisture is located regarding that, that half and half situation across the United States. Now a trough is going to dig out in the Pacific. And now what that's going to do is ride up over a ridge next week. So you start to see more of the white and the purple, the, the deep purple, the deep purple that in and across parts of Oregon and Washington. When I hit this button, into Saturday, Sunday and Monday, that is going to continue uh, to be one of those situations where we're going to combine some energy with the moisture, uh, putting down a good amount of snowfall on the higher elevations. Uh, great for kind of uh, that first push into a uh, skiing snowboarding season out there on the, uh, the West Coast and uh, in some of the mountains. The other part of this is as that energy comes down north to south and lifts to the northeast, you do have the chance of some snow developing across the United States. Otherwise, majority of the area, the United States, going to stay pretty dry. Take a look at your screen here, Texas, courtesy of Scott Fred. Beautiful shot as that sun starts to go down. Uh, overall, it's been a great way to end the harvest day when you have an image like that. They're harvesting some cotton, sharing what he calls another nice sunset. It sure is. I'll have more in your forecast coming up. The number of bird flu cases is once again on the rise. The latest, a significant outbreak confirmed on an egg farm in northwest Iowa. It involves more than 1.6 million hens. The outbreak now the largest in the U.S. so far this season. In November alone, approximately five and three quarter million birds have been affected. It represents a substantial rise from the 1.37 million reported in October. The states most heavily impacted by the recent outbreak in the last 30 days include Minnesota, Iowa, Ohio, and Oregon. In Iowa, infections this year are occurring at a rate three times higher than those detected in October, November, and December of last year. Tyson is unveiling one of its most automated plants to date. It has officially opened a new $300 million fully cooked food production facility in Danville, Virginia. It features high-speed automated case packing lines and high-speed robotic units for putting the food onto pallets before it's shipped out. Tyson says it also includes a product inspection process that uses metal detection, x-ray, and vision grading to ensure high-quality products. Workers in the facility are also equipped with armbands to help protect worker health and safety. The plant employs nearly 400 people. Corn and wheat rallied on Thursday with pressure returning in cattle. Michelle Rook is back with a look at what drove those markets next. And later, our coverage of this year's Milk Business Conference continues. We have an update on price pressures and when farmers could see some relief. And check out the latest in technology that's winning one dairy producer top honors. And why not take a minute this morning to sign up for the Case IH Holiday Giveaway. Each lucky winner will get a Case IH prize pack full of great gifts. We'll announce the winners just before Christmas here on Ag Day. And then the grand prize winner will be announced just before the holiday on U.S. Farm Report. And they'll win a Farm All C pedal tractor. To enter, head to the website on your screen, caseihholidaygiveaway.com. A bit of a turnaround for corn finally on Thursday. Michelle Rook is back with more on if corn can end the week on a positive note in markets now. Grain and livestock futures mixed on Thursday. Oliver Slope Lillian Futures joins us. We did have an update on the corn, though, out of all of that, Oliver. And, you know, let's talk about that market. Did we see that exports push that market or was it just a fact we saw some liquidation ease here getting into first notice day? 
Well, I think uh, both of those things, then you add in the fact that it was the end of the month as well. So funds who've had a very large net short position for some time, maybe covering some of those positions as we round out the month, their net short position, 185,000 futures and options contracts as of the most recent commitment to traders report. That's the biggest net short position since the summer of 2020. So I think you saw some covering. And that export sales number this morning was just phenomenal, which I think was a tailwind to spur some of that covering. We saw export sales come in at about 1,927,000 metric tons. Uh, that is a marketing year high, up 35% from the previous week and 54% from the uh, four-week average. So some good tailwinds to round out the month. But it's going to be important going forward that this week's export sales number isn't just a flash in the pan. We need to see some consistency there for this market to have a real shot at marking a longer-term low. Yeah, the big question is, are the lows in in corn, do you think? Well, that's... That's the million dollar question. I tend to think that a short term low is in. Does that mean the market is just going to run away higher? I don't think so. I think there's still a lot of barriers for this market fundamentally and technically. Cattle market back down on Thursday, Oliver. But do you think the lows are in here? I think uh, yeah, the, the move lower to round out the month, I think, was actually halfway constructive. Uh, we got the market right back to where we broke down from last Friday. I think it was natural for the futures to stall out there and see a little bit of a lower trade. The fact that we were able to mark a higher low, I think, is really what's encouraging. And one of the things that we were concerned about really through the bulk of the summer was the risk of long liquidation. We saw funds holding a net long position north of about 120,000 futures and options contracts. Uh, they're now down to sub 40,000 futures and options contracts. So that's a relatively neutral position for them. If we can continue to see uh, some of these fundamentals start to stabilize, I think that could encourage some money to come back into the market. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Oliver Slope Blue Ledge Futures. We'll have more Ag Day coming up. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Steel Closing Wheels. Perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order your Germinator closing wheels today. Yeah, I want to jump right into what's going on with the jet stream and kind of give you that overall pattern where we're heading. And really, it's all about the ridge, much like what we had in the summer with some of the extreme heat. A similar pattern is setting up, not necessarily extreme heat, but above average high temperatures for an extended period of time. So here's a look at the jet stream uh, on Friday. Starting to see a ridge back down here to the bottom right hand corner of your screen. But more importantly, now what's going to happen through the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, is we're going to pick up a lot of Pacific moisture that's going to combine with a few pieces of energy bringing that snow uh, to the higher elevations, but also some rain into uh, Portland and Seattle. Well, watch this energy come up over that ridge and come right back down here. So it's going to be a bit of a shallow trough. If we we're talking a, a significant snowfall for a large portion of the United States, what you'd want to see is this to dig down to the south, pick up some Gulf moisture and come back up to the north. That is more of a January, February type snowstorm for the East Coast. This is going to remain pretty shallow because of the strength of this ridge and the strength of that one over there. So rather than cut down and pick up a lot of moisture, it isn't really going to deepen or develop until it gets out over the Atlantic. And that's when some of the higher snowfall totals, possibly even some rain, will come into play. So that's the first one. Now this is the Dutch stream on Tuesday. That one moves out a Sunday and into Monday with another shallow kind of clipper system 
Tuesday and Wednesday, which once again doesn't dive all that deep. When it does, it's already past uh, its main moisture source, which is the Gulf of Mexico. So while this does dive down to the south, it really doesn't happen until after it leaves the east coast. That is worth monitoring, though. If anything starts to shift and it starts to dig earlier uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, then you could be looking at picking up enough moisture to possibly that impact the east coast with some rainfall and some snow. Otherwise, there's your warm feature right there. That is a ridge that is going to be in the forecast Thursday, Friday and into Saturday. And there's a look at it. Temperature outlook December 5th through the 9th. Let's start talking about oh, Key West. Why not? Mostly cloudy, high around 82 degrees. Uh, Corvette top down type weather. Ottawa, Ohio, 46 degrees, low of 42. Aline, mostly cloudy, high of 40 in New York. Ag Day is brought to you by Tyrannus, moving the acre forward. Every acre tells a story. Find yours at acreforward.com. That's acreforward.com. The dairy industry has faced lower demand along with lower supply, and that's impacting prices. But could exports offer up some better news? Farm Journal's Tyne Morgan continues our coverage this morning from the Milk Business Conference in Las Vegas. Pressured dairy prices remain a tough reality for dairy producers to finish 2023. And one dairy analyst says he's never seen a time in the dairy industry where both milk supply and dairy demand are down. Sometimes you have you know, a little supply drift, but demand just kind of continues on. But for the past you know, 9 to 18 months, we've seen various demand challenges around the world. And it's really a limiting factor in, in, in upside pricing opportunity. Phil Plord, president of Everag Insights, says historically when milk supply drops, it means dairy prices climb higher. But the culprit of the low prices producers are seeing today continues to be inflation. Inflation is a massive deal. If you look at even in, in Europe, for example, we've been struggling to compete with European cheese exporters. Well, food inflation in Europe has been unhinged, you know, 15 percent, 18 percent, I want to say, was the peak. And so their consumers have retreated. So the domestic European market for cheese hasn't been great. Well, that creates more cheese for export. Lucas Fees, senior dairy analyst with Rabo Agrofinance, says the pressure from key Asian nations has taken a big bite out of the export demand, a major weight for dairy prices. But the bright spot has been Mexico's growing hunger for U.S. dairy. Our biggest customer is Mexico. We saw Mexico have a really tremendous year this year, and we do see that continuing uh, into the new year as well. There's, you know, maybe some some signs of, of questionable demand, but uh, on the surface, the, the sheer amount of volume that Mexico is purchasing is continuing to uh, to support U.S. dairy market. Another factor that could fuel better milk prices, declining milk production numbers, not only in the U.S., but abroad. For the first time in a long time, we're not looking at overwhelming or burdensome sub milk supply from any of the key regions, really. We're lower in the U.S., we're lower in the European Union, we're down in New Zealand. There is no wall of milk coming at us. With possible stability in interest rates and a forecast for cooler inflation, the dairy industry is hopeful 2024 will produce more profits than the negative margins many saw in 2023. Reporting from the Milk Business Conference in Las Vegas, I'm Tyne Morgan for Ag Day. Thanks, Tyne. Up next, our coverage of this year's Milk Business Conference continues. We'll take you to a dairy where cow comfort is king and technology leads the way.
Coverage of the Milk Business Conference on Ag Day is brought to you by Robo AgriFinance. Discover how local relationship managers and global sector expertise can help you address challenges and seize opportunities. Robo AgriFinance. Let's talk. Learn more at www.roboag.com. 65 employees, two milking sites, and three parlors milking 6,200 cows. It's a lot to oversee, but one man makes it look a lot easier thanks to adapting to new technology. And that's why, as Ag Day's Clinton Griffith shows us, he's this year's Milk Business Conference Leader in Technology Award winner. It's another busy day at Pagel's Ponderosa Dairy in Kewanee, Wisconsin. So we try to make everything as comfortable for our people and as comfortable for our animals as possible. A mantra the family has been following since the early days of this operation. In 1946, our grandfather returned from World War II and him and our grandma borrowed some money from a neighbor and we started with eight cows and some pigs and some chickens. Today, the farm milks thousands of cows across multiple locations and technology is a big part of the day-to-day. -day. Our dad and our grandfather were both very aggressive using of technology. I love standing up here on the platform, watching the rotary go around. You see the cows milking, you see them chewing their cud. Anytime a cow is just standing there relaxed chewing her cud, you know she's feeling good. That, that makes you feel good. From the beginning, the goal and the dream of John Pagel was to be the best. So we wanted to grow, we wanted to make our farm uh, one of the top in the country. And so what we did is we, we uh, learned from the best people in the industry to do the best job we could do to take care of our cows the best that we could. That was John in 2017 when he was a finalist for Top Producer of the Year. A year later, he and son-in-law Steve Witzbollock and a pilot were lost in a plane crash in Indiana. His vision for the farm and his family lives on. The one thing that John you know, helped teach us and that we're able to carry on is putting the cows first and taking the best care of, of the cows that we can. Chris Seidel joined Pagel's Ponderosa as a nighttime milking technician in 1995. Today, he manages both the Pagel Ponderosa and Hilltop Farm dairies, overseeing three different parlors and 65 employees. Just anything that uh, will reduce stress and make them uh, more comfortable is the key for us. That means reducing headlock times, giving cows more time to walk and lay down, utilizing comfortable flooring, rubber mats, and clean bedding. So in the past, we would have people outside to separate the cows that we need, and now the sort gates we can type into the uh, dairy comp system. That talks to SCR, which talks to the sort gates, and we're able to automatically separate cows that we need. A system built by Parlor Boss and Sense Hub worked together in the rotary to allow the team to perform many herd management tasks while cows are being milked. When we started with the SCR collar technology. We started with it and within three weeks, Chris goes, all right, JJ, we're getting rid of spray paint. And I'm like, let's not get the cart before the horse. He goes, it's the only way we'll know if it works. Out in the barn, temperature control systems help optimize temperature, keeping cows cool and fly free. We have people from all over the country and all over the world that come in and, and we like to help educate the people that stop by the dairy and, you know, this is what's working for us and this isn't and try to be honest with them and, and share the technology. Constantly looking at technology and other industries is also helping the team to innovate. They recently implemented a pulse needle-free disposable injector from the swine industry, looked at wastewater treatment plants in city municipalities, and tried a bedding dryer from the sawmill and wood industries. When we do the work day in and day out, you tend to think it becomes pretty routine, 
And then when we have opportunities like this or an award for, for Chris and the team like this, it tells you that maybe it's a little bit special here. A special place with a special bond, willing to attempt the unknown. I see it. I see a little bit of John and everything that goes on here still. Congratulations to Chris Seidel and the team at Pagels Ponderosa Dairy, winners of the 2023 Leaders in Technology Award. Thank you, Clinton. And Clinton will be back Monday. That's all our time. Thanks for yours for all of us at Ag Day. I'm Chuck Freebie. Have a great day.